Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope everything is good with you and yours wherever you are in the world. I hope you're happy and safe and healthy and all of those things which sometimes we take for granted, but perhaps we shouldn't. It has been a, uh, well, an introspective and difficult week for Arsenal. Let's face it, we lost to Crystal Palace on Monday night. A bit of a, a, bit of a shock because things have been going so well, perhaps. The kind of result, the kind of performance that makes you remember nothing is done and dusted yet. There's still a lot to do, still a lot of work to undergo. And of course, that work is made a lot more difficult now with the news that Kieran Tierney is out for the rest of the season because he's got to have surgery on a knee problem. What an amazingly upbeat start to the podcast this is. I've got everybody in like the best cheeriest mood that they could possibly be in. I apologize, but this is what happens. You see, I sit at my desk, I pull the microphone close, not here, not here, but right here. I press record on the software that I use and I just start talking and stuff comes out. And then, you know, I just thought I'd talk about the week that was. But in many ways, I'm, I'm a slave to what's happening. You know, I can't just sort of say everything's amazing. And I haven't even mentioned the fact that Thomas Partey could be injured for a while as well. Look, this is the reality. This is what happens when you get to this part of the season. Injuries become more impactful, like something vaguely serious can be a season ender, which, of course, is a little bit different in April than it is in October. But those words, season ending, season ender, out for the season, they're never any good whenever you get them. But those are things that we are going to have to deal with uh, between now and May. When is the final game of the season? May 23rd, I think it is. I should know this because, of course, I'm uh, going to be there. It'll be my first Arsenal match in a long time. And actually, you have got a chance to watch that game with me and with the guys from the Arsenal Vision podcast in a box at the Emirates, where hopefully, fingers crossed, we can end the season well and, of course, put the final nail in Frank Lampard's managerial coffin. That would be something. If you want details of how to do that... Uh, you can visit arsenalvisionpodcast.com. If you donate to their fundraiser, which is raising funds for the Arsenal Foundation, who are raising funds for Save the Children, you automatically get entered into a sweepstakes, and every five pounds or every five euros, I think it is, that you donate gives you an extra chance, an extra chance to be part of that 
that so you could watch Arsenal versus Everton on the final day, May 22nd. Uh, and hopefully it will be a good day and uh, it's a great cause to support. And just to remind you as well that this month we are donating every single penny from our Patreon revenue. Every single penny that we get uh, on Patreon is going to be donated to UNICEF, which helps children around the world who are affected by conflict and war in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Yemen, in Gaza, all over the world. So if you sign up for Patreon, you get all the extra stuff, you get all the archives, you get access to everything instantly, and your subscription will go to a really good cause as well to help kids around the world who uh, aren't as lucky as we are. And I think things like this uh, remind you of just how fantastic the Arsenal online community really is. Of course, there are elements of it which aren't great, but that's true of everything in this world. But when push comes to shove, Arsenal Twitter, Arsenal online, Arsblog community, Arsenal vision community can be counted on to dig deep, to be kind, to be generous, to be supportive, to have that touch of Arsenal class, if you like. And it makes me very, very proud uh, to be part of it. And uh, yeah, that's really all I've got to say for that. So if you want to sign up for our Patreon and help donate to UNICEF, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Right, let's get on with the show. There has been plenty going on, obviously, in the wake of the Palace game and the injuries and the team reconfigurations and things that we might do to make sure that this Palace game uh, doesn't resonate and we get back on track quickly at the weekend. With me to talk about all that from Goal.com, it's Charles Watts. Hi, Charles. Hey, Andrew. How you doing, mate? I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, We've had a few days to sort of decompress a bit about the Palace game on Monday night. Uh, It was obviously a very disheartening, disappointing result and performance. With a couple of days to soak it all in, uh, how do you feel about it now? Is it uh, it one that worries you in a big way, or do you look at it as slightly anomalous to, to what came before? It's a tough one. It's honestly the the fallout from it worry me more worries me more than the actual performance stroke result um in terms of what it means over the sort of longer term over the run in just the injuries i think are a real issue um you know losing Tierney and potentially party we don't know the extent of parties yet but i can't imagine he's it's going to be a quick fix with party we've seen well we've seen with tommy asu's injury which is a thigh injury same as party and we saw what happened with party last time you're looking at potentially six weeks and if that's the case again then that's a real real problem and mm. Tierney definitely is a problem so i think that's what worries me more like it was it was a bad performance there's no doubt about it you can't shirk, shirk their arsenal started badly palace were very good to be fair to them and um it was just a really bad night everything that could have gone wrong kind of did go wrong in that first half you know the tavar bringing tavares in him having another shocker um, the injury to party in the second half. The fact that Arsenal had chances to get back in the game and just couldn't finish them in the, in mm. the second half as well because they did have big chances. It was just a really bad night all around. And um, so, yeah, it was worrying. But I think sometimes you've got to take a little step back as well. You know, Arsenal had won five games away games in a row in the Premier League going into that game. So it's not like, you know, it's not like it's coming. I think that's maybe why the, the, we've all been so shocked by it because I don't think any of us expected... So the performance more than the result. I mean, you looked at that game and you thought, didn't you? That could be a banana skin. It was, mm. it was, it was more the performance that that was 
the shock, wasn't it? It was like, you, yeah. we haven't seen Arsenal beaten like that and played that badly for a long, long time. So no. I think that was the main thing. That, yeah, I mean, that's it, because um, it was really interesting to hear Mikel Arteta speak afterwards about, like, we, we talked right before the game about how you have to compete, how you have to be at the level physically to earn the right to play against Crystal Palace and, and everything else. And I have to say, on the night, I'm, I, I find it a little bit hard with this Arsenal team because, like, when it's good, I'm I'm... I'm almost all in on like how good it can be. And when it's bad, I feel like the darkness is closing in again and everything is, you know what I mean? And I'm trying to sort of temper my reaction to things. And certainly uh, when the final whistle went on Monday night, I was like, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. And then having watched the game again a bit and having looked at it and looked at certain aspects of the game, like it, it, it was still bad. Individually and collectively, Arsenal were really bad, but it was far removed from what we've seen uh, in recent weeks from Arsenal. I also think that when Palace go 2-0 up, um, it's not as if we're consistently under the hammer or anything like that. We played some good football late in the second half, and I know that the game state played a part in that. Palace are sitting off, and they're 3-0 up at that point, and like they can they can just invite us on. And, and uh, But there was some good um, combination play and things like that. So I, I'm trying to lean in more to the idea that this is something that can happen to any team. As we saw, uh, you know, Chelsea get beaten by Brentford. There are shocks in the Premier League week after week, season after season. There are results and, and performances like this. So I'm trying to maintain some level of chill, even if Arsenal don't always make that easy. Yeah, and I think I think that's the right the right sort of way to see it because I think, like I said, I think the reason we're shocked is that we haven't been one of those teams that have been on the end of a shock result for a long, long time, really. We've been going to these games that a lot of us have probably been looking at and thinking, oh, God, it's a banana skin here. Like Aston Villa away, for example. I, mm. I was looking at that game for a long time and I was convinced Arsenal were going to drop points and they didn't. You know, they ground it out. It was a really good win. And I think that's why this is the first time it's happened to Arsenal for a while that it's suddenly been like, oh, no. And like you said, oh, darkness is closing in. <laughs> when one happens, you know, the first thing we think about as Arsenal at the moment is like, oh, no, that's it. Mm. Game over. Top four done. We're not going to win for the rest of the season. And, you know, I think Saturday's massive. You know, getting back getting back straight away to winning ways is so, so crucial. They can't afford for this to suddenly spiral into a two, three, four game run. It has to be straight back on it on Saturday, get three points. And then you know try and go again. Um, you know the response is going to be really, really key. And like you said, there was it was the first half was dreadful. The second half was much, much better. Mm. And you know it had Smith Rowe scored, which he should have done on I think that was about fifty five minutes. Had Odegaard scored, which he should have done on sixty minutes. You suddenly got half an hour there mm. with you're only two one down and you got your tails up. But every, like I said, everything went wrong. They couldn't finish. You know they were really, really simple chances that they should have scored. And then you're back in the game. And you know the third goal. You know, party gets injured. If he's not injured, they don't score that goal because he doesn't do what he, you know, he doesn't mm. lose the ball. We can't track back. And again, it's just another example of everything possibly that could have gone wrong, did go wrong in that game and Arsenal got punished for it. So look, it was a bad night. It was a very bad night. And I'm not surprised at the reaction that the defeat has caused, certainly on social media. But um, I think we've got to, you, you do have to take a little bit of a step back and think, look, it's not been that bad for a long time. Yeah. Let's just focus on Saturday now and get back to winning ways because it's you know Arsenal is still in a decent position. It's not like the top four race is done and dusted. Far from it. They're still in a good position. It's still in their own hands. So 
um, it's how they respond now, which is going sure. to be the crucial thing. I mean, one of the one of the things that struck me about this season is that we have, and maybe under the entire reign of Mikel Arteta, reign is maybe the wrong word, but during Mikel Arteta's time at Arsenal, is having to deal with periods of adversity. Mm-hmm. Where we all remember that terrible run in the in the previous season, where we uh, went from November or whatever it was, you know, there was like eight games with one win, something like that, in the Premier League, which caused a big problem. Uh, but after that, they responded and they they finished the season quite well, uh, not in terms of league position. We lost the first three games of this season and it was mayhem and everyone was like fearing the absolute worst. And we went on another decent run and we had then a little blip. Um, I think there was a draw with Palace, a draw with Brighton, if you want to call that a blip, maybe uh, results that weren't quite as good as you would expect against those teams. But we responded. There was the uh, the Man United defeat, the Everton defeat, quite how we lost. Everton remains one of the great mysteries of, of all yeah. time. Um, I mean, obviously... The fact that Everton were allowed to stand on the faces of our players played a, a bit of a part in that. But again, we responded to that. So I think one of the things that we're I'm hopeful about is that when we have these periods which aren't great, the the recovery is much quicker than it used to be. Like we're able to compartmentalize the difficult moments much better. And hopefully on the training ground this week, Mikel Arteta will be saying to his players, look, you've got a home game against uh, Brighton. Uh, It's going to be tough. Like every game is going to be tough. We've got to put this one behind us. Uh, If he's not letting them get carried away with win after win, uh, away win after away win, he's not going to let them uh, or let a, a, a bad result or a bad performance against Crystal Palace fester within the squad, is he? No, no, not at all. And like you said, I think the way they have responded to bad moments has been really, really encouraging so far. Um, like, I think, like I said, the, the injuries are, are a worry though because I think there's some really big games coming up, you know, looking a little bit beyond Brighton. Yeah. And, you know, if Thomas Party is going to be out for a long time, it's going to be really interesting to see what Mikel does now in terms of his formation, how he set things up to sort of cope with the loss of mm. two really influential players. I mean, the Tierney one should be a relatively simple thing, but unfortunately it's happened at a time when Nuno Tavares is pretty much on the floor when it mm. comes to confidence and form. And so that makes that potentially makes that decision a little bit more difficult. But, you know, losing Thomas Partey, that's going to be big because we've seen since 2020, the turn of the year, basically, he's been very, very yeah. good, hasn't he? And it seemed like he'd got over his injuries he was you know in a, into a rhythm him and Xhaka were playing well together so the loss of him is going to be really really you know we're going to feel that badly so it's going to be really interesting to see what Mikel does and whether you know the players who come in can step up and ensure that that you know the loss isn't felt yeah. as much as it could be okay well let's talk about those decisions and and like first Kieran Tierney um is out for the season having picked up or aggravated a an injury that he's carrying or had been carrying uh, while on international duty with Scotland i mean I've seen, I've seen people talk about how maybe, you know, if he was injured, Tierney should have said to Scotland, look, I can't play for two games, can't play 90 minutes in two games. But basically every player or most players are carrying some kind of ache or strain, aren't they, throughout a season? A little niggle, little ankle strain, little muscle strain, soreness here, there and everywhere because of the, you know, just the demands, the physical demands of, of top flight football. You know, it's very rare to be 100% fit 100% of the season. Um What's your understanding of how that injury came to be 
um, diagnosed as serious uh, as it was? Like, was it, did he come back from international duty and say, look, my knee's a bit wonky here? Or, or what was it? Were Arsenal aware that he had a, a knee problem going away with Scotland? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, they knew that he'd been carrying this problem for a while um, leading up to the international break. Um, and then he went away and when he came back from it, he said to him, this is beginning to cause me some you know, real problems. I can really f- feel it now, sort of worse. So they said, okay, let's go and have a scan. Let's go and see if we can get to the sort of true extent of what's mm. going on. And that's when it was kind of discovered and they sort of all got together and thought, look, you're going to do a lot more harm than good if you sort of carry on with this now. We're going to have to take action and mm. you're going to have to go under the knife and get it fixed. And, um, you know, speaking to people at Arsenal, there's no... There certainly doesn't appear to be any sort of fume at what Scotland have done. You know, Scotland playing him in the two games. You know, I think Arsenal aren't pointing the finger of blame at, at Scotland at all. It's something that they knew about, and uh, it's just sort of they've come to this decision after the international mm. break. And so I can understand why a lot of fans are looking at it and thinking, why you know it's Scotland's fault, but Arsenal don't look at it like like that. Um, and so yeah, there's no anger from Arsenal's point of view towards Steve Clark or Scotland for the fact he played these two games. It was something that they're aware, they were aware about. Mm-hmm. The decision that Mikel Arteta has to make now about what to do with the left-back position, as you mentioned earlier, is a little bit complicated by uh, Nuno Tavares and his uh, performance the other night, which I think, you know, he was at, at fault for both goals. I think he could have done better in, on both occasions. In general, I think he was all right. He wasn't quite as uh, as maybe as bad or obviously bad as he was in that Nottingham Forest game where he got took, taken off after about half an hour. And even that night, I don't think he was quite as bad as it was reported in some places. But um, it, it is an issue for Mikel Arteta and, and how he deals with the absence of a senior player like Kieran Tierney because we had this last season and what he did was move Granit Xhaka to left back and it meant sort of reconfiguring his team in a way or trying to um, move many pieces around to solve one particular issue. Like I think, and I, I, people are probably bored of me saying this, but I think last season there was a very obvious one-piece solution, which was Bukayo Saka at left back. You bring in Nicolas Pepe into the team to play on the right, and they, it's not as disruptive to the team. This season we have a... Uh, an obvious replacement for Kieran Tierney, and that is Nuno Tavares. Is the best thing for Mikel Arteta to try and show some faith in this player, to ensure that the disruption to the team in Tierney's absence isn't um, like dominoes falling, if you know what I mean? So he he can't, he feels like he can't play Tavares, so he's going to play this guy, and then to offset that, he's going to play this guy who's going to change system, change formation, maybe go with the back three, whatever it might be. I mean, is the simplest solution the best solution in this case? Much will depend, of course, on how much faith he has in Nuno Tavares. He said the other night that the withdrawal was tactical, which I think is probably fair comment. And he could easily have taken off about five or six other players at halftime if he wanted to make a tactical change. But sometimes the way that you deal with a player's poor performance, you say it's tactical, he's playing badly, he comes off, that's tactical. In a way, you know, so you say that publicly so it doesn't look too bad for the player. I mean, how do you view this one, particularly given it's a home game, it's against Brighton, all due respect, et cetera, et cetera. This is not like playing Tavares going into a, a game at Stamford Bridge or North London Derby at White Hart Lane, whatever it might be. This is a chance maybe for 
not quite redemption, but to build his confidence up and maybe see if we can get him back to the level that he did show at times earlier in this season where he did look quite a promising player. Yeah, I think I think you play Tavares, absolutely. Uh, I think I think all the other options are far too disruptive for me. And the, the reason Tavares was signed in the summer, the re, you know, was for this exact situation, that, that Arsenal didn't get themselves into the problem they had last year at this point last year where they lost Tierney once again and mm. it caused all end of trouble because like you said they were moving players around out of position so they went into the summer with a clear agenda in the transfer market of signing a replacement for Kieran Tierney they've got one Tierney's injured so surely now you play him yes he's had a bad couple of games there's no doubt about it but we saw at the start of the season that he was a decent you know he was a decent player I and mean, he, he was keeping Tierney out of the team initially with his performances and then obviously he had a tough game at Liverpool, wasn't it? And then Old Trafford and Tierney mm. came back in, which was the right time to bring Tierney in. But T- Tavares showed that he can be a you know a handful for the team, certainly at the Emirates when Arsenal were playing on the front foot. So I think you stick with him. Yes, his confidence would be low, but I think if you're if you're basically not playing him now when Tierney's injured, then you know what sort of message is that sending out to to the player himself? And you look at all the other options. I mean, Saka playing Saka at left back now has no. to be the furthest away option that literally has to be the last option for me because you, I mean, you, you're playing with a central striker off there's no goal threat whatsoever anyway so you can't mm. move your top scorer out of the attacking out of the final third and I know he, people will say oh he can still get attack at left back but no you need Saka in that final third as much as possible at the moment so that's a no for me you could switch Cedric over there but then you're probably moving Ben White out of central defence and bringing Rob Holden in again that's really disruptive you could play three at the back but you know, maybe that's a kind of an option. Then he can play Tavares as a left wing back, which limits his defensive responsibilities. But then I don't see where Odegaard really fits in. He's not going to have that freedom mm. in a, with a sort of three four three formation. It's just all too disruptive. You've got a left back there. You've got Tierney's understudy there. So you've got to play him when he's injured. Surely that's that has to be the route for Arteta to go down. And you know, you can't even move Granite over there now because you lost Thomas Partey, and so you can't play midfield yeah. without Thomas Partey and Granite Xhaka. So. I think it has to be. You've got to give show some trust and some faith in, in Tavares now. It's about Arteta's man management for me because um, Tavares would have certainly been hurt after that at, at Monday night given it came on the back of what happened at Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Um, and it's about man, man managing him now and sort of get, trying to get his confidence up, showing some trust in him and um, and playing him on Saturday and trying to get him through this bad run of form. Yeah, I mean, he did trust him early, earlier in the season because he did make a mistake and then he kept faith with him for the next game. And uh, maybe he spoke about him or it could have been Albert Sambi Lokonga who had a similar mistake and he, he kept faith with him for the next game. And it was like, okay, you've made a mistake, but it's not the end of the world. And I do think you're right. Like, if you can't play him against Brighton and if you can't play him against Southampton, for example then there's no way you can play him in bigger games. And Arsenal have got Chelsea, they've got United, they've got Spurs, they've got West Ham coming up, you know, big, big games against teams around us, which he may find more difficult than those. But look, it's, 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 I think it's as simple as like, if you can't, if he can't do it against Brighton and Southampton, then you've really got to think about a different solution. But maybe you've got to give him a chance to show that he can do it. And um, maybe the Partey injury, at the time of recording, we don't quite know what the seriousness of, of that injury is. Uh, but does that in some ways simplify the situation? Because, like you say, you can't use Granite Xhaka. I think the obvious replacement for 
uh, Partey's Lukonga, as we saw the other night when he made the change um, in the second half. He didn't bring on a safety player. He brought on Lukonga. So it looks like that is the like-for-like replacement, even if they're not necessarily like-for-like players. But I think what you probably have to do is slightly tweak your system in that you're not going to ask Lukonga to do exactly what you're asking Partey to do, which is shoulder a lot of that deep-lying work on his own, pushing Granit Xhaka further forward, which has been talked about over the last number of weeks. You're probably going to have to move Granit Xhaka back in midfield a little bit to support uh, Lukonga, but also maybe to offer a bit more protection and some support to Tavares as well. So um, while the Partey injury is obviously a big blow, it it kind of, at least for these next two games, simplifies the decision-making process for Mikel Arteta when it comes to his team selection. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd be really disappointed if I turned up on Saturday and, and Elneny's starting in, in midfield. I think you've got mm. to go with Sambi uh, for this one. You know, he, he I thought he played well, Sambi, at the start of the season, and he certainly played a lot more minutes than Arsenal were sort of expecting or had planned for him at the start after they, you know, they wanted to give him time to sort of settle in and adjust he kind of got thrown straight in because of what was going on with Thomas Partey. He's been taken outside for a fair while now, but you know mm. he's had a lot of time to get used to things and you know work on the training ground. And you know he's a good player, Sammy. You can kind of look at his stats as well, and you know he what he did in the start of the season it ranks pretty highly. You know he's a, he's he wins the ball back. He's quite good in the final, final third. He's got a decent final pass on him, and I, I think you absolutely do that. You move like you said, Granite just drops into that deep line midfield role that Thomas has been playing in. And you just move Sambi up sort of alongside Odegaard and stick with this 4-3-3. I think everything else at this stage of the season, when the team are so used to playing this system in this way, everything else is just it's just too too disruptive. Mm. There, there, it's quite actually quite simple, isn't it? I, I think um, certainly from the way it feels like me and you are looking at it, is it is just Tavares Sambi get on with it and 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 try and get back to winning ways on Saturday. And it's. It can take sometimes a young player, like because you say he was in the side earlier on in the season because of what happened with with, with Thomas Partey in preseason. He got injured uh, in that game against Chelsea and missed the first few weeks of the season. And then, of course, Granit Xhaka got injured, so he's in the team uh, more regularly then. But sometimes, you know, when you are a young player, you come to a new club, you've got to learn the Premier League. We know it can take players a while to get up to speed. Not always, but, you know, different players take different uh, periods of time to acclimatize to English football, to a new club, to a new country, all that kind of stuff. You know, sometimes a player... Having a bit of time off, time off is the right thing, but t- taking a time out from the team. Um, mm. You know, he's been kept out of the team because Xhaka and Partey have been good, not necessarily because he himself has been bad. You know what I mean? He hasn't really been needed, but he's had time to assess, time to take stock, time to look at what those guys are doing on the pitch, the way they train, the way they operate, the way they function together as a partnership. And I'm sure it has developed and, and created a real hunger in him to get back on the pitch and to start playing regularly because he was a regular player for Anderlecht and he's come to Arsenal and he's been slightly peripheral over the last three or four months. You know, I think he's had one Premier League start since November and that is because Partey got that crazy red card in the EFL Cup against Liverpool when he'd just come back from, from AFCON. So 
if you're looking for positives, you're thinking, okay, he's had time to think about things. He's coming in. He's got fresh legs. He's not fatigued. He won't be carrying injuries. He'll be ready to give it, you know, everything for 90 minutes for nine games. Maybe he won't be needed for that many. But it is a chance for a young player to to come in and say, okay, the start to my Arsenal career was all right. And now it's time to show people what I can do. Absolutely. And he'll have one eye on the World Cup as well, you know, because he's yeah. right on the cusp of Roberto um, Martinez's Belgium team. He's mm. kind of had a couple of call-ups, hasn't he? So he'll have his, his eye on that. And it's a really big opportunity for him. This is what he came to Arsenal for. And uh, we saw enough in those in those kind of flashes at the start of the season from him to suggest he's a very decent player. And that's why Arsenal signed him. And, um, and I, you know, I like him. I, I have to say everything that I've seen from him so far for a young for a young kid who's relatively inexperienced certainly in you know a top top level league I like him I think he's got a lot he's got a lot about him and he's only going to get better and um, you know this is his chance it's why he came to Arsenal isn't it he's got a hell of an opportunity here at a really crucial stage of a season he's got some big games coming up that he might have to play in and um, he's got he's got a chance to really sort of you know put some pressure on Granite and uh, Thomas Party and who knows what, what's going to happen with Granite in the summer anyway so you know this is this is what he's here for and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him over the next few games. I've got to say, you know, I'm, I'm slightly worried about the left-back situation. But in terms of the midfield and certainly seeing Sambi, I think, you know, I'm quite excited to see, see what he can produce. Yeah, I, it's it's about seeing a new partnership. Like you say, Xhaka and El Nenny, we've seen plenty of times before. We know what it can do. We know what it can do. Uh it can't do a lot. No, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to see that at all. I really don't want to see that at all. I'll be really disappointed. Look, Mo's been a you know fair play to him. Everyone likes him. He's been, he's been good to have around. But Mo's going in the summer. Yeah. Not, for the last nine games now, we are not seeing Granite and Mo and any in midfield. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Can't. I wasn't saying we should, but I was trying to be diplomatic about the uh, about the situation. But, uh, you know, we are trying to build for the future. And it is about, like, investing minutes in players. Like, even if, you know, it doesn't go as well as we would like, if you give Sambi these seven, eight, nine games, whatever it is, it's stock in the bank, isn't it, for next season? It's it's development time. It's it's all you know. It's beneficial. So you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see how he operates alongside uh, Granite Xhaka. Um, here's a question: we we talked about um, investing in the future players who aren't going to be here next season, and it leads me to Alex Lacazette and the decisions that we've discussed already that we feel are relatively simple um, in our uninformed opinions are relatively simple. When Mikel Arteta thinks about things, maybe he doesn't see it that way, but what about the striker situation? What about how he deals with a center forward who just doesn't score goals uh, and whose contribution in some of the other aspects of the play that he's been given plenty of credit for aren't really at the level that they were. You know, he, he struggles to um, to impose himself. He struggles to drop deep and get in the box. I mean, it was amazing watching Karim Benzema uh, against Chelsea drop into midfield, play a forward pass, turn, sprint into the box, and get on the end of a header. It's like, this guy's 34. Lacazette's only 30. You know, we... we, we we probably should expect more from a centre forward than we're getting from him. But of course, the situation is complicated by lack of options or perceived lack of options. Like I think in normal circumstances, a striker who hasn't scored a goal from open play in over four months doesn't get picked. 
oh, you're spot on. I, I read your blog yesterday, and I, I thought it was it was absolutely spot on. And it's um, yeah, it's a worry. You know, I I I've been quite a I've been in support of Lacquer quite a bit this season. And I thought he played very. He was playing pretty well, though he wasn't scoring. But like you said, the things that he was doing very very well, he's just not doing now, and hasn't done it for a fair while. You know, you go back about probably about six weeks till he was really or a month maybe but it's you know he's not really contributing in any way I can't imagine the Crystal Palace centre-backs will have an easier day or night than they had against Lacazette on Monday night and that's a real real concern because if he's not contributing in the way that he was like you said as in dropping in you know linking up playing the playing the wide men in and setting up chances then what's he in the team for because one He's not scored an open play goal since Southampton, has he? It's just two penalties since then, the Norwich and Leicester goal. Mm. Um, although you could technically say he scored against Wolves. but um, Yeah, I mean, I, th- I'm, I was happy to give him credit for that because he was there and he forced the error and everything else. He did, yeah. But, you but know. It, is, it is a concern. And like you said, in any other in any, any other area of the pitch on any other player, maybe if it's not captain, you're looking at what he's producing and you're thinking there's you, you've got no right to be in the team because you're not you're not doing it. No goals mm. in whatever it is from open play in four months I mean it's just not good enough and there is a lack of options I know I accept that but I'd be very very tempted if I was Arteta to try something a little bit different with the forwards on Saturday because you just can't persist with absolutely no goal threat in the central areas surely mm. you just can't keep going you've got to try something different I mean this is Arsenal's decision and I'm not I'm not going to have a go at the whole Aubameyang situation I think Arsenal are right to do what they did in January I thought they got to the point where it had to be done my issue with it was that they couldn't find anyone anywhere that they could bring in at least have another option in January. I think that's where they messed up when it comes to the transfer window. It wasn't letting Orba go. It was just not finding someone to at least be another option um, to Lacazette in that central role. And obviously mm. there's Eddie, but he's in the same. He's going He's going away. And I think I thought Eddie did all right when he came on, uh, on yeah, Monday night. So. He scored. And so you've got to try something. If it's Martinelli as a central striker, if it's just starting Mar- Eddie, which you know, um, Arteta has done before. I don't think if you, you can just continue to play Lacazette just because he's Lacazette, if he's not producing. And it is a big, big concern. And I think we all thought it in January, didn't we, when Orba went and no one came in and you kind of looked at who you were going to be up against in the race for the top four. You look at Tottenham and you've got that mm. genuine, you know, world-class star quality in the striking department and people are going to score your goals and they're scoring goals now. And you just wondered if Arsenal were going to end up coming short because of a lack of goals. And that's a concern at the moment. And for me, on Saturday, I'd be trying something a little bit different because I just don't think Lacazette has been playing well enough to warrant a place in the starting eleven continuously. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think it's important, you know, even if you do have a small squad and your options are relatively limited, you, you still have to remind players or players need to be aware that form is an issue. Form is what dictates your place in the team. Like if it was Saka who wasn't playing well or Smith-Rowe wasn't playing well or Partey wasn't playing well, I know none of them played particularly well the other night, but what they have is, you know, a track record of months of good performances behind them. And it's not to say Lacazette hasn't contributed. Of course he has, but it's the the most important part of his job, which is getting in the box, making runs, taking shots, scoring goals. He's just really not doing that, uh, you know, in any effective way at this moment in time. And look, if you make a change, it doesn't have to be permanent. It doesn't mean he can't start. It doesn't mean he can't come off the bench. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a part to play. But I do really think that 
when teams are looking at Arsenal right now, they, they kind of know what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, as James said on the Arscast Extra on Monday, that's not necessarily a bad thing if what you do is so devastating and effective that even when the opposition know, they can't do anything about it. It is a problem when it becomes pedestrian and predictable and routine and it's easy to play against. And I think the the harsh reality of this is that Lacazette is easy to play against. Um, Anderson and, and Gehi the other night, meat and drink, they really didn't have a great deal to, to worry about. And Anderson ended up with, with two assists. You know, he was so happy getting forward and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, would I, was, be- I, was pining, I was pining for Mateta on Monday night. I was looking <laughs> at what Mateta was doing to our centre-backs. And, and I was just thinking, it's got this bad that I'm desperate for, for Arsenal to have Mateta up front at the moment. He would at least be causing them problems and mm. bullying them a little bit and putting himself about and getting in the box. And yeah, it's it's something neat. I'd, I'd be going with Martinelli on, on Saturday, I have to say. you know, Martin, I thought Martinelli, when he came on, he was great on, mon- on Monday night. I thought he was he caused Palace problems and yes, he's not going to hold the ball up. He's not going to link others like Lacazette can, although he hasn't been doing recently, but he's going to give those centre-backs no matter, even if he doesn't play that well, he's going to give those centre-backs on, uh, on Saturday a difficult job. He's going to be on them non-stop. He's going to yeah. be causing problems, harrying them, trying to force a mistake. He's going to be in the box, which is the essential thing. He's going to be there in the mm-hmm. centre, central areas in the box. So, and then you can just play Smith row on the left and you've got Odegaard, Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli all playing in that final third. And yeah. I think if you did that, you, if Brighton saw that team sheet at 2 p.m. on Saturday, they'd be more worried than if they see Lacazette playing on Saturday. I think that's absolutely right. And what Martinelli does is obviously different to what Lacazette does. Um, the movement, though, and the harrying and the hassling and the, the hard time that he might give those central defenders, plus the ability to run in behind, which Lacazette doesn't have. I mean, I think the the, the tactic was, um, and it did work uh, occasionally, was that Lacazette would drop deep, pull a central defender with him, and then somebody else can run in behind, as we saw, let's say, with Martinelli a few times, maybe in that Leeds game in particular. Um, but, you know, it's it's just too easy now. I think uh, I'd, I'd be with you in that I would like to see Martinelli play up front. Again, these are minutes that are going to go to a player who's going to be with us next season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's maybe an, uh, an important consideration. If this doesn't work with Martinelli, um, maybe it also gives you some clarity about what you need to do in the summer as to, you know, how many players you need to bring in in, the, in those forward positions. Because if Martinelli can slot in and show, okay, I can be a genuine option here, maybe not against all opposition or all teams or all systems, but if he provides you with a, a proper uh, option at centre forward, then maybe it has an impact on, on what you need to do in the transfer market as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've seen enough from Martinelli that there are clearly question marks about him as a long-term central striker. But, you know, the the odd game there, he can cause problems. And mm. I think he needs to work on his end product a little bit. There's no doubt about it. But, it, you know, he can score goals and he's just going to give defenders an, a, a problem. We mm. know that no matter where he plays on the pitch, left wing, right wing, centre forward, defenders will hate playing against him. And he does offer you that that running behind option, which Arsenal mm. just do not have at the moment. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think on, on Saturday, that that's the way to go. To, to be honest, I don't think he'll do it. I think it will be Lacazette, but 
um, it would certainly be the option that I, that I would go for. Do, I mean, do you think people will say, look, with with Partey injured, and he's a senior player, I mean, I think one of the, the aspects that we haven't really discussed about Thomas Partey is... Um, like you can have the debate about experience and inexperience or youth and seniority or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, when you do have some players in the side who are experienced, who've been there, who've done that, who've played in big games and been, um, you know, at the business end of a of a league season like Thomas Partey has been with Atletico Madrid, uh, you know, uh, throughout his career in Spain, that kind of experience is useful. Similarly, Kieran Tierney, had those seasons, even though he's only 24, he had them in Scotland with Celtic. You know, it's not quite the same, not quite as competitive maybe, uh, but he's been there, he's done that, he's worn that particular T-shirt. And some people might say, well, look, if you lose, if you lose Tierney, if you lose Partey, if you lose that experience, you can also lose the experience of, of Lacazette as well. Do you think that that, should be a factor in the decision making, or should it really just come down to the form of a player and what he is uh, contributing? I think it's got to come down to the form of the player. You can't experience doesn't score your goals. Experience doesn't <laughs> win you the three points, does yeah. it? Experience doesn't at the moment. Experience doesn't even get you in the penalty area. So I think you know. I, I just don't. I don't really go go with that argument. No, I, I. You know, we've seen what these youngsters can do. Arsenal have chosen to have a young squad with a little bit of experience mixed into it. This is the route they've decided to go down. So this is the route they've got to try and win with. And mm. I think right now their best chances to win or the best chances to score goals and or kill, cause teams problems in the final third is by is by going with mm. some of the younger players they've got and taking Lacazette out. Like you said, he can come back for the crucial games if needs be. If Martinelli does, come, does play there and it doesn't work, then you sort of bring... Lacazette back, but at least you've given it a chance, and at least you've shown to Lacazette that look, you're not guaranteed starter in this starting eleven. You've got to, if you want to stay in it, you've got to start producing. You've got to start getting in the box and scoring goals because that's your job. You do know. You, yeah. Do you worry like subconsciously? And I, I'm not casting any aspersions on Lacazette's professionalism. Similarly, with Eddie, as you say, he came on the other night. I thought he looked quite bright. I thought his movement was quite good. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't be 100% shocked if Enkedia started against Brighton. Um, but do you think that their contractual situations play a part at all in the performances? Um, I know it's not something that consciously they will be thinking of, but I guess there comes a point where if you're considering your future and you're thinking about, well, what happens in June? Like this season has got like a few weeks to go and then maybe I've got to find a new football club. <sighs> Does it have an impact on the way you play, on your commitment, on your your willingness to run, to potentially pick up an injury, which might then impact what you can do in the summer? You're a free agent, but if you're knackered, nobody wants you. You know, that kind of way. Does that worry you at all, or do you think that's just sort of me overthinking things? I, I don't know. I mean, it's tough for me to answer because I'm, I'm not in that situation of having to play for a contract, professional contract, but I, I don't think so. I, I haven't seen... You know, Lacazette. It doesn't. You know, I'm not watching him in the last few weeks thinking, thinking he's down tools. I'm just no, looking no, at yeah. him thinking he's just not very good at the moment. He's just not on form. He's not, and maybe teams have worked him out a little bit. Like mm. you said before, in that sort of run over Christmas and the start of January, and he was dropping into that hole, and everyone was sort of running off him, and he was doing the flicks around the corner. I think teams have kind of worked that out a little bit, as that's that's how Arsenal are playing, and that's probably why we're seeing. You know the effect he's having on matches has been limited. Um, 
So I don't, I don't really see that, uh, really. And I think Eddie, to be fair, in the last few games when he's come off the bench, has looked brighter than he had done beforehand. Um, you know, I thought it was obviously very important to the win against Wolves fairly recently. I thought, again, on Monday night, he was bright. Um, could have scored. Really unlucky to score. <laughs> done Eddie scoring from 30 yards. That's the absolute end of the world. Stuff, that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's obviously a f- there is a... An issue there, and this is what happens when you let players' contracts run down. But I haven't really seen any evidence of it with those two that that might be something that's happening. All right, just very finally, I mean, we've got nine games to go. It is um, in our hands, so to speak, the top four. Uh, it does feel like we're going to need a little bit of a hero to emerge from this group of players. Somebody who's going to maybe nick those goals. If you remember Freddie Youngberg scoring some goals late in the season, it was just like, oh, my, oh there he is again. Oh, he did it again. Um, it's a lot to sort of put on one particular individual, but given the way that we're playing and given the way that this season is going, it kind of feels a little bit like that to me, that somebody in these final few weeks is going to have to make a real mark uh, from an attacking sense to get us the points and get us the wins that we need. Yeah. Oh, God, what I'd do for a 2002 Freddie Lundberg yeah. right now, just take him uh, out of there. Maybe with Bergkamp as well behind him, drop him into this. Yeah, team. that'd be kind of handy, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, it was just watching repeat every game, wasn't it? Bergkamp yeah. to Lundberg goal. Yeah. <laughs> Job done. Um, yeah, I mean, someone's going to have to step up. I was hoping that Lacazette was going to be that man. I have to admit, when I, I was sort of looking at him thinking, you know, can he be the hero before he leaves in the summer? Can he just get five or six goals? Clearly doesn't look like that's going to be the case. And you have to look at Saka, really, for me. I mean, he's the guy who's kind of done it so far. He's top scorer at the moment. Um, and if anyone's going to do it, I think it's most likely to be him. I mean, it'd be fantastic if, fantastic if it was Martinelli. I mean, what that would do for him and you know, for the long term, for next season, if he could get a chance and take it and score five or six goals between now and the end of the season, it'd be absolutely fantastic. But this is a time when someone's got to make himself a hero, isn't it? This mm. is a crucial stage of the season. This is when people like to step up. You talk about Freddie back then, that run in 2001, 2002. You know, he he just took it on by himself. And so many games that were tight, it was him. And I, I'll never forget the West Ham game that towards the end of that season when at Highbury and it was, it was 2-0 in the end, him and Carney scored. And, you know, Arsenal played really badly that night. And I think Canute had scored one that wasn't given. Like, Cole had cleared it off the line. It was miles over the line and the referee didn't give it. And, you know, Arsenal could have lost that game. And then out of nowhere, Freddie stepped up, won that game. He did it at Bolton soon after. And he made himself a hero. And, he, mm. you know, he, and he was he's a hero forevermore at Arsenal, basically, because of that, what he did towards the end of that season. And someone's got to try and do that. And, unfortunately... We haven't, you know, Freddie Lumbos don't grow on trees, but no. there are players who can score goals in the, in this team. They've showed it this season, and hopefully one of them one of them can step up because yeah. it's some really big games coming up. I feel like I feel like we're overdue a a Pepe contribution uh, this season. Mm-hmm. I know he's been on the bench a great deal, and his substitute appearances have, have uh, ranged in quality, it's fair to say, in the last few weeks. He was very, very good when he came on against Wolves, and pretty poor when he came on against Aston Villa. But if you're looking for somebody who is capable of influencing a game in the final third, producing something a bit special, I mean, he's got it, doesn't he? Well, there's an argument he's the best finisher 
at the club, really. And and the way he ended last season, you know, if he could do that again this season, it'd be absolutely fantastic. But I thought he was, it was, you know, he was a big miss on Monday night. I think he would have definitely been on fairly early on if he had been. And there's an argument. I've seen people say it. If and I don't think Pepe is a central striker by any means. And I've kind of thought to myself at times, he can't. That can't be an option. Mm. But then I saw someone saying it the other day. I can't remember where it was. And it, it was like if Pepe had started every game that Lacazette started since the turn of the year as a central striker, it would be a very safe bet that he'd have scored more than two penalties in that time. He would have been scoring goals in open play. And so, I mean, he is potentially an option there as much as it doesn't really fit it and he is more of a wide player. You know, he would score goals, you would think, if Pepe got the chances and the starts that Lacazette has been getting. Pepe would score. So, you know, does Arteta trust him? That's the big thing. And yeah. you have to look at it right now and think, he doesn't really trust him and that that's the issue there when it, no when it comes i mean he, he doesn't trust him certainly he doesn't trust him from a defensive point of view because when he came on against villa uh, a few weeks ago like within minutes arteta was screaming at him from the sidelines because whatever instructions he'd been given were not being carried out but where pepe is most effective is in the box or certainly around the box you know uh, you can think of a number of goals that he scored at the near post, for example, by making that kind of run and being there for the cutback. I think there was one against Manchester United. Uh, was that maybe Arteta's first win? I can't quite remember. Yeah, you know, th- those kind of goals. That, like, I'm not saying he's a penalty box presence, but if you're in a position where, you know, you're a goal down and you've got 15 minutes to go, I mean, it's a bit of a Hail Mary, but it's better to have that than nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think he will get chances between now and the end of the season, definitely. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, it was a shame he missed Monday with that, with that illness, but hopefully he'll be back on Saturday. Um, and I think he'll certainly come into the equation. He needs to. I mean, he's a £72 million player. Mm. You want, um, you know, the club should be should be able to use him between now and the end of the season to get, to get you some goals. So, um, yeah, I mean, he showed at the end of last season when he had that run what he can do. I think what he finished, I think it was 17 goals last season. He was only one behind Lacazette. He was nearly top scorer last year. So, um, and he is a very, very good finisher when he gets on that left foot. So he, he's definitely an option. And, you know, I'd expect Arteta to use him quite a bit between now and now and May. All right. Well, fingers crossed the hero emergence, uh, emerges in these uh, in these last nine games. We leave it there for now, Charles, as ever. Thanks very much. Thanks, Andrew. Have a good day, mate. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts, at Charles underscore Watts. And he writes about Arsenal and other football stuff for Goal.com. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Right. Well, since we recorded that uh, little chat, Arsenal's medical team have provided an update on Thomas Partey. This is what they said. Our number five was substituted during Monday night's game against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park after aggravating his right thigh. Thomas has since received further assessments and a subsequent scan has shown muscle damage to his right thigh. We will continue to assess Thomas in the coming weeks, during which time he will also receive further specialist consultations. So clearly he's going to be out for a few weeks at least. I'm not quite sure what to make of the the fact that they haven't put a specific time frame on it. Is it a case they just don't know? Do they not want to release that information at this moment in time? Are they hoping he will be back? Did they just not want to announce two key players out for the season in one week, uh, which I could kind of understand? Uh, nevertheless, it's not great news for Thomas Partey. It's not great news for Arsenal or Arsenal fans, but what can we do? We've we've just got to get on with it. We don't have any choice, and hopefully it will be an opportunity for Albert Sambi Lokonga to step up and see what he can do on a consistent basis. And I guess for everybody in the team, when you're missing key players, you've just got to redouble your efforts. You've got to work harder, do that extra bit of running to, to offset the quality that we have lost. And that is a lot of quality in one week, Kieran Tierney and Thomas Partey. Uh, fingers crossed Partey will be back before the end of the season because uh, I think we might need him. And hopefully by the time he comes back, there's still something significant and tangible uh, to play for. So, uh, yeah, keep everything crossed for that. Right. Uh, I think we'll leave it there for today. Remember that later on on Patreon, we will have a preview podcast as we do for every Premier League game, looking ahead to the fixture against Brighton on Saturday afternoon, one in which we need to take three points, get ourselves back on track. You can join myself and Lewis Ambrose over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We will have that for you at some point on Friday afternoon. For now, though, thank you as ever for being here. Thank Thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued support in all the ways that you provided. It's hugely appreciated and we're very, very grateful. So until the next one, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Welcome back to Talkshite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. It is an incredible Premier League weekend. And for the latest team news, as Arsenal look to get back on track, we go over to our reporter, Steed Boombox. It is shaping up to be a very difficult day for Mikel Arteta and his men. Rocked by injury news this week to Kieran Tierney and Thomas Partey, both of whom are out for the season. As are Aaron Ramsdale, Takahiro Tomiyasu, Ben White, Rob Holding, Mohamed Elneny, Nicolas Pepe and Alexandria Lacazette. While Granit Xhaka has been suspended for three games for not being sent off. With referees absolutely convinced he did something to warrant a red card but they couldn't see it so he's been accused of dark magic. Nevertheless, there is some good news for Arsenal fans. Out of retirement today to take a place in midfield comes inanimate carbon rod. We can already see the in rod we trust banners in the away end here and Mikel Arteta will be hoping he can bring some of his world-renowned... ...to the Gunners today. Back to you in studio. Steve Boombox reporting live from Crofferson Park, right here on Talkshite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. We are going to take a commercial break. When we return, Matt Letizia is in studio to tell us why Lord Lucan assassinated JFK and more stories from his new book, Jet Fuel Can't Melt Steel Beams. Talkshite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. <laughs> 